Hey, Matt. Um, I, I'm wondering from your perspective, obviously, you know, the white head coach, the team majority black players, when you're in that room and you're listening, um, and I respect you probably can't go into specifics about some of the stories, but what did you learn? What were some of the things you learned from that? And, and then the follow-up would be, was there anything you could maybe take home to your family in terms of some of the things that you learned from those discussions? Well, so what's what's hard for me to explain because just the way I'm wired is again, and I, I for me, it's just so easy because there's none of that. So when, when I'm talking to any person or person in the building, player, et cetera, uh, I don't care color, race, gender, none of that. I don't care. I don't see that. And and our like you said with with family and kids, the way that that Stacy and I raise our boys, I mean, that's just how it is and how it should be. And so, um, you know, what I thought in, in the beginning of the meeting, as we got started and really going, um, there was a lot of things I took away, like I've already said. Um, but one thing that I thought that was brought up that was really, um, important and, and, and neat to see was some of our, um, black players asking and looking for, you know, opinions of, of the white players and and listening to their views too. Like they didn't want this to turn into something where this is only black players that speak. And it wasn't that, that was what was so cool. I mean, when I talked to you about the word love and how that was used between white and black on that, on that zoom call, that that's the powerful, that's the raw. And, and so um, hearing the opinions of where some of the white players stand and I think that was something that I thought was was impressive to see that they wanted, and then vice versa. Um, and you just feel it, and you understand um, the significance of love. It, it just—I said it yesterday. That word does not get used enough in this world. Love, and and so uh, I'm going to make it my own mission to use it more, to to show it more. Um, and in our world of the NFL, big, tough guys, um, it's just unconditional. And I think it goes a long way. And so I, you, at the end of that meeting on Monday, I felt that there was love in that room. Welcome back to Bears on Tap, a podcast about the Chicago Bears. I'm your host, Lucas Perfetti. You could follow us on Twitter at Bears on Tap or follow ONTAP Sportsnet for all of your Chicago sports needs. Also, go ahead and check out ONTAPSportsnet.com for really everything you could think of. We got a ton of articles on every single Chicago sport. We dive into the college world, NASCAR, you know, everything, everything, even WWE. So we're, we're there, fantasy football, whatever you want, hot dog reviews, we are there for you with Chicago sports. So make sure you go ahead and check out our site, ONTAPSportsnet.com. For those of you that listen regularly, obviously our intro was different. It was Matt Nagy. And realistically, love is something that we all need right now. Obviously, if you haven't been, you know, under a rock for the last week, we we saw what happened with George Floyd and the protests that followed because of the injustices that have been happening for years and years and years and just far too long. So I just wanted to start you guys off with that Nagy clip just to um, kind of see where the team's at. And in my opinion, the team has handled this from top to bottom in a fantastic manner. Even Akeem Hicks, you know, kind of said he thought it was going to be 
essentially like a, a, a pointless meeting. Well, you know what? Let me not speak for Akeem Hicks. I'm going to play you the clip real quick, and then we'll get on to this show in a hot second. Well, to be honest with you, to be completely honest with you, I, 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 didn't, have, um, I didn't have much feeling towards it. I, I wasn't excited to get on that call. I didn't think anything positive was going to come from it. I didn't know why we were having this, you know, uh, this moment where we were singing Kumbaya and, and, and trying to, to get over what's really happening in the world. You know, I felt like it was a, uh, I felt like it might be a control situation where they want to control the narrative and, and point us in direction. So when we talk to you guys, there's only going to be a, a certain message that you guys hear. It was the complete opposite. It was, it was totally different. It was, I watched um, young black men, young white men, um, older coaches uh, from all across the United States and watching everybody reveal themselves in a way that, that isn't common, right? In, um, in, in, in sport or masculinity in general, right? Um, and express their, their, their real feelings, you know, out in the open, out in, in, in positions where you feel like somebody could start pointing at you and say, oh, I don't know if that's a good guy. I don't know if we want him on the team or if that's the type of person we want around the building. Um, I, everybody let those, uh, uh, those feelings go and, and shared from the heart and, and, and shared their real experiences. And there was some hurtful stuff in there. There was some stuff where people were, you know, changed and altered for life. And, and I won't speak on it because it's their, that's their story and that's their, uh, you know, what they're dealing with. But I'll say this, as a team, there was a, uh, there was a level of healing involved in that call. And there was a level of um, us just coming together. We just got a little bit tighter because we, we had, we've had this experience together. So uh, it, it was a positive call. And, and, and I think that it changed the lives of some of the young men that we have on this team. It changed my, changed my perspective on a lot of things. So as I was trying to say before, I mean, Akeem Hicks and maybe some other players felt like the, that this meeting wasn't going to be constructive and it was just for them and the organization to all be aligned in the same thing and tell the media the same thing and essentially be a robot and bottle up their emotions. But it turned out it was the exact opposite. And as a Bears fan and someone who covers the team as a fan, it makes me so proud to see how how they've handled the situation, how from the top down, Jordan McCaskey, Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, and all the players, it seems like, you know, even Akeem Hicks said there's, there's a, a bit more of a bonding or a unity going on between them, which is as crazy as it sounds, you know, it seems like that should be the given, right? They should all come together. These guys play with each other, African-American, white, Hispanic, whatever you are, you play together, you're, you're there for a common goal. But as we've seen across the league and, and other sports, not everyone had that type of experience. Some other teams are beefing right now. We've all seen what happened with Drew Brees. So you have to pay props to the players, most especially the players, but also the organization for for just doing what they're supposed to do, right? They're not going out of the uh, out of the ordinary or anything like that. They're just doing what they're supposed to do, which seems to be very difficult for a lot of people in society right now. But with that being said, we're going to move forward to this show because as I said, you know, we need to break from it a little bit. We need to break from this a little bit. We all need to come together. And as Matt Nagy said, we just need to start loving each other a little bit more. So without further ado, here comes the start of this show. Welcome on Duke Coughlin and Brandon Suarez. Alrighty, so we have Brandon Suarez, B Don three hundred, and Duke Coughlin at that Pod Guy Duke. Um, we're going to be discussing this Ryan Pace, Mike Florio press conference that they had. 
a couple days ago. And then we're also going to be doing a little bit of our fantasy draft for the Chicago Bears. And obviously, first round, we're starting with Hall of Famers, tons of studs. It's going to be like a little bit of a history lesson, too, while we go along. We're going to teach you a little bit about the Chicago Bears, some of these older players. Um, gentlemen, aside from everything that's going on, obviously, you know, uh, we're kind of upended and and things of that nature, but how we doing in general, you two safe, you two doing all right. Yeah. Uh, up here in Madison, uh, Wisconsin right now, we've had, you know, a little bit of stuff going on, but for the most part stayed fairly peaceful. Um, you know, I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to entertain anyone who's listening to this podcast right now. Um, really just want to bring people together. Let's, uh, let's talk about our bears. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm out here in DeKalb, uh, it did get a little hectic over here out in the weekend time, but I'm happy to just get back and talk about the Bears. It looks like some of the models are being put in place so that the season can actually take place. Uh, and I'm just excited to see this team back out there. There's a lot of promise out there on this team. Yeah, I mean, this team's really um, coming together greatly. Um, and at the end of the day, dude, like it, there's we want so much to happen right now. They should be in or they should have been in mini camps and this should be like their official break, but you know, we got virtual meetings going on. We're seeing everything through like virtual reality. And realistically, a lot of this stuff is pillow talk anyway. They're just saying what you want to hear um, for the most part. But you know, you guys got a couple really important tidbits out of it that I think we should cover. So yeah, the one, the one main point that I wanted to cover and, and you kind of alluded to calling them bargain bin is I really thought some of the, I guess it was kind of like baiting by Florio, but obviously you know, as a media member, they want to know what's going on with Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles and, and why Mitch didn't get his money. And I think Pace really stood his own. He really he really used a good anecdote in which he used the 2018 season and when Kyle Fuller did not get paid his uh, option. And then he went out and earned it out on the field. So I'm not necessarily saying that that's going to happen for Mitch, but he has the model in place on which he is using currently. And uh, they used it with Leonard Floyd and it didn't pay out for him. So I think that's the model he's going with. Hopefully it works out for Mitch, but if not, you know, there's plenty of other arms that we could be going after next year. Yeah. It's, it's funny you brought up the Leonard Floyd thing and, and I actually kind of dove into that and speculated with it in this off season. Obviously it's time to speculate. Um, but you know, I thought for sure if, if Leonard Floyd got his signed, like why wouldn't Mitch's get his signed? But then you kind of saw it unfold where, you know, it could have been a comp pick if they didn't give him that fifth year option. He got paid $10 million. It was actually the highest one year amount. So it could have materialized into something a lot more for them. You never know what's going to be on the table for next year. You never know how the bears are going to finish. You know, what if the bears finish at the bottom of the barrel and they're, they're in line to get someone like fields or they're in line to get someone that's at, that's at the top of the board at the end of the year. You know what I mean? Whoever the next Joe Burrow is that wants to come out of left field. Um, but, you know, as Bears fans, we preferably want to see like more than one year of starting experience. That's just that's just kind of, you know, scars that we don't want to reopen. Um, but realistically, why would you give Mitchell the, the option? You know what I mean? Like at this point, he hasn't proven enough to give him this option. He's not really worth the $24 million or whatever it would be. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know if he's going to materialize. So it's the right move to make, unfortunately, especially as someone who likes Mitchell Trubisky as the person and wants him to succeed. But business-wise, if you're thinking like a GM, it's definitely the right move to make. Um, how about you, my man? Uh, you know, it, 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 makes, it makes all the sense in the world. Like, why, why would you pick up his option at this point? You know, uh, 17 touchdowns, 10 interceptions last year. That's not what you're expecting from your second overall pick, regardless of what you have around him. Um, and honestly, with with a season that Mitch just had, it it makes sense money wise not to pick up this option as well, because even if you were to have a pretty good season this year, 
you could look back in contract negotiations, which you want to get you want to get your quarterback signed as quick as possible if you are going to end up signing Mitchell Trubisky. Even if he has a good year this year, you can still point back at that one bad year before and possibly have a negotiating chip. And I really think that's where Ryan Pace is looking at it because I think he has this intention that Mitch will turn it around. Um, obviously, he's he's to the point where he's not going to you know put his entire job on that type of a situation. But um, it, it just makes sense um, with how he played last year with the crazy quarterback uh, market as it is right now. There's no reason you need to pick up that option. Um, so I, I think it makes a lot of sense. It gives you it actually gives you more control of Mitchell Trubisky if you want to continue to control him or you wash your hands with him after this season. So, yeah. And I mean, realistically, what happens if like Nick Foles ends up starting and balls out and Pace has this affinity for Mitchell Trubisky and he wants to keep him as a backup backup and keep developing him like, you know, what would make it like if, if the Bears drafted him and Pace wanted to keep him? He had no chance to start this year, par se, or next year for another team. Like, why not throw him a one-year, $5 million deal or something like that? And if things go go awry, you still got a quarterback that knows how to play the system. Not saying that that's probably going to be an option, but there, there's a ton of different – it's just flexibility. That's all it comes down to. But I know Brandon was talking about, like, you know, comparing the Kyle Fuller thing, or that's what they were talking about in the interview. You want to elaborate on that, Brandon? Oh uh, yeah. So basically he was, he was using just that season saying that, you know, it, it can be done. It is possible. Like it's not necessarily the same position and it's a lot more pressure being the quarterback, but it is possible to go ahead and take, take advantage of not getting paid, going out and proving yourself. And then you can get an even bigger payday on the other side of this. That still is, you know, remains to be seen. Uh, but I, I like where his head's at and he's confident in his guys. Yeah. And Kyle Fuller, I mean, like we know him as the all pro now, but he had a couple of really rough years. He dealt with some injuries. I mean, he showed a flash in his rookie year and then he kind of like had a, had a bit of a downfall and that's why he didn't get his option signed. He got transition tagged and eventually ended up working out for him and the bears, um, you know, after green Bay signed him to that offer. But I like the comparison and I kind of hope, I just wish that Mitchell Trubisky has that success. You know what I mean? If he turns into an all pro we're, uh, we're in, we're in very good shape as bears fans. Um, my man Duke, now, you were um, talking about the preseason stuff. This, to me, I find very important because it's just like last year, fans were calling for the Bears to have preseason all year long. And everyone was saying, blah, blah, blah. And don't get me wrong. Like, it, that wasn't the reason the Bears didn't have rhythm, quote unquote, rhythm with their offense by week eight, because realistically, any fucking team should have rhythm within their offense by like the second or third week. It doesn't matter if you don't play in the preseason. So this whole like not playing four quarters in the preseason, I think that's a little bit of blasphemy. But overall, I do like I like the idea of playing starter playing starters in preseason. Tom Brady did it last year. Tom Brady does it every year. You know, he'll do your generic layout. You got your first quarter of the first game, second you know, I, I'm sorry, first series of the first game, first quarter of the second game, first half of the third game, sit the last game or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So if you got veterans that have been playing one, six fucking Super Bowls, like who are you, Matt Nagy, to say that we don't need to practice? And I know that that's kind of like where the league is trending, especially because, you know, you had um, McVay doing that with with the L.A. Rams over there. You know what I mean? And McVay like didn't play any. But they were coming off a Super Bowl run and they were able to put up points like nobody's fucking business, dude. They were a machine on offense. They didn't need to rest their they didn't need to play their starters. And they had Gurley with that knee. You know what I mean? So it's like, now don't get me wrong. If we're talking defensive starters, does Mac need to play more than one series this entire preseason? Absolutely not. 
maybe one or two series. That's about it. But when it comes to this offense, they need to make sure that they get their quarterback in place. And I know for a fact, like there has been a million discussions and there will be a million discussions about this quarterback competition. But the only way to properly evaluate it is if they get real reps in preseason with the same players. Yeah, and that was one of the main points, too, that I also liked. It, it, you got to do it. I beat the drum last year in the preseason about this, and you, can't, you cannot expect your players to be in a rhythm by the time they get out onto the field for week one of the regular season if they're not taking the preseason serious. Obviously, you don't, like you said, you don't have to go out there and play like whole games. You just want to go out and say you go out there with like the same scripted play that you're bringing to the first 15 in week one. Go out and try and execute those plays. Just try and get the small victories in the preseason so that the entire team has been prepared, whether it, you know, whether you're man 53 on the roster or, you know, Khalil Mack, you are equally as prepared to walk into battle week one. Well, and I mean, that's the thing, too. Like last year, I feel like that's kind of part of what was the Bears issue. They thought that they were all good. They didn't They didn't have money to make any major ac- acquisitions or draft capital, but they didn't make any because they thought they were all good. They didn't have any competitions going for their starting spots because they thought they were all good. Come to find out, they weren't fucking all good. So realistically, like, you got to have competition at every single spot every single year because it's it, realistically, it's a business. It's a performance-based business. These guys have got to be able to perform, and you can't have – You know, you can't be deciding whether or not fucking Cody Whitehair is going to play center by week eight. Figure it out in the preseason and figure like you guys got to figure it out now. You know what I mean? Like enough is enough with this fucking experimenting with this West Coast cute shit. Like figure out how you're going to run the ball, figure out how you're going to get Mitch into space or Nick Foles. And because they're both good off play action. That's all it really comes down to. So it really comes down to what pace or what Nagy said in the beginning of the offseason. He said, I need to adjust. You know what I mean? And that's, to me, for a head coach to say that, that's big. That doesn't happen often. You know what I mean? Like, so he acknowledged it. Now, the next step is, you know, moving forward and, and making some adjustments. We'll see if that happens, you know. But last year, it was a bit of a different tone. While he was in, caught up in it and, you know, the honeymoon was over from that 12-4 season. And he was getting asked questions about the running game, you know, rushing only seven times a fucking Bears entire 100-year low seven times on Walter Payton fucking bobblehead night. You know what I mean? Like instead of, instead of answering questions kind of gracefully or, Hey, this is what the game plan called for. This is what their defensive backs were giving us. It was, I didn't come here to run the I form. You know what I mean? So that little bit right there is growth. Um, But I see my guy over there. What's on your mind, brother? All right. So there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, First of all, I really liked your analogy with um, Tom Brady, you know, Simply put, you're never too big in the NFL to practice. You're never too big in the NFL to shake off the rust. And, uh, you know, while there wasn't rhythm on offense until week eight, offense is a rhythm-based side of the football. You know, you're 100% correct when you say, for example, Cleo Mack doesn't need to play a lot of snaps in the preseason because defense, you have an individual assignment. It's not totally like that on offense. It's It's a cohesive unit. And when you don't have that with starters, regardless of how long you've been in the league, regardless of anything, um, especially with a quarterback who's going a second year into your system, who's fairly young and, you know, rookies and everything like that. Absolutely. Preseason is very important when it comes to really getting things going. And um, that's probably one of the bigger things I took from Pace in this uh, Florio interview 
was uh, him actively talking about how starters need to play. Starters need time in the preseason. Um, and, you know, that isn't necessarily something that a GM will always go out and talk about, especially, you know, they'll usually let a coach handle that entire type of situation. But um, I, I really think it speaks volumes that Ryan Pace is like re-elaborating off of Matt Nagy saying that player that starters are going to be playing in the preseason. Um, I, I think it's just, it's important. It's, it's shown this year. It has truly shown in this past season that we can't go in on offense. Um, still learning. There has to be, there has to be a time to go with it. Yeah. And one thing I want to point out too is and this has got to be the most thing that gets you guys the most excited or the most uh, comfortable is everyone seems to be on the same page across the board, coaches, players, everyone in the organization seems to be on the same page, not to say that they weren't on, on the same page last year, but they had that like cocky swagger to them that you, you kind of knew things could have went wrong this year. I think they're humbled. They're ready. They just want to get to work and prove to, you know, the NFC North and the rest of the, the league that they can go out and make the playoffs this year. Yeah, and you, you know what? It's funny you say that, dude, because they did have that swag, which I don't think that's a bad thing, right, to come out with, with swagger. But at the end of the day, you have to come out it, not a confident swagger, not cocky, not distracting, not we're fucking good. It needs to be, hey, if I do my shit right, we can execute. You know what I mean? Like, we can put up points. That's that's your mindset. It can't be like no one can no one could guard me or no one could do this. You, you got to – because then you're not dotting your I's and crossing your T's. You know what I mean? You got to make sure you're crisp everything, your routes. We saw way too many miscommunications on routes that ended up in interceptions or we didn't know. Was it Matt Nagy defending? Uh, what's it called? Was he throwing Anthony Miller under the bus? Like, there was so many situations like that in general. And you know what? It's funny because when I did my running back breakdown, I feel like – the first play of the season, they did like another tribute to the Bears. It was some form of wing tee. It was like a shifted wing tee. And it was a pitch to Tariq Cohen, man. And when I tell you this thing, maybe it wouldn't have been a touchdown because, you know, they were on in their own territory. But it was all green grass. And it was a fumble, dude. It was a fumble. And I feel like that right there kind of set the tone for the entire season. It the opportunities were there and they just did not capitalize on him. And I feel like if you don't have that rust, that's the first handoff he took all year. You know what I mean? Like give him a handoff in fucking a live preseason game. Maybe he doesn't make that fumble. Maybe he breaks off for that huge run and they have a different, you know what I mean? They have a whole different mindset. Yeah. And you know, I, I really think the thing with, uh, you know, with Matt Nagy that is going to be like paramount going into the third season is this was only his second season as a head coach. He's still learning as he's going. You know, he is a very smart offensive mind. He's one of the better offensive minds in football. He learned under one of the better offensive minds. Hell, he learned under the head coach who just won the Super Bowl this past season. It's 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 still a learning process for Matt. I really think Matt is obsessive enough, and I think if you follow the Bears enough, you see how obsessive Matt is in these small little details. And I, I really like the point that you brought up with that first play from scrimmage that we ran this year. I think Matt looks at that. I think Matt is going to really take this year to go back to the drawing board to get a, to get aggressive again, to get creative again. You know, I think uh, it just hit too much autopilot this past season. You know, too much. And that's the much. one. Th no, I like I like what you were saying there because that's the one thing that I thought like, what happened to the the freezer left and the Santa sleigh and Willy Wonka? You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, we weren't executing anything, so you couldn't throw tricks in. So I kind of did respect that he that he did bring that back because 
what are you going to try this trickery for if you can't even exe- execute your normal plays? You know what I mean? Over overall in um in 2000 and uh 2018 they did execute a lot better as an offense yeah and i mean i'm not trying to i'm not trying to doubt uh anything like that i'm not saying necessarily that we need to jump into uh you know trick plays i i just think we need to get a little bit more fresh on offense we need to stop giving the same looks because it, it was just far too consistent whether we could you know execute it or not we we would see the same formations and we would almost know the play that was coming with it. That needs to change. And I really think that's something that Matt's going to focus on in this upcoming season. Even we'll probably see it a lot in the preseason is just trying different plays out of these formations, you know, Swi- just switching it up. You don't necessarily have to create these new plays, just switch up how they're called and when they're called, you know, just something simple like that. And I really think an obsessive guy like Matt Nagy, I think he's very capable of doing something. Yeah, and we just we just need to graduate from the six yard curls. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm we don't need the double six yard curls anymore. I, I I understand Allen Robinson is fantastic at running that route. We get it, but he can run every route in the fucking route tree. So let's get him out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and definitely on the topic of tree code, let's not have him run curls. If we're going to get him passes, let's get him in space and keep him moving. But I just think. I'm not going to say it's going to be a revamped offense, but I do think you're going to see some of that 2018 excitement this year with that offense. It may be my meatball take of the episode, and I may die on this hill, but I think the offense is going to be significantly better than it was last season. No, I and it starts and it starts with the running game. I completely agree with that, and I do like as much as people, you know, I know that Ryan Pace has put all of his eggs in the Juan Castillo basket, but I. For you to be that confident, especially when you know like you came off of a rough season and not that his seat's hot, but it's definitely not cool. You know what I mean? Like if you're not going to make any major acquisitions at your on your offensive line, I mean, people keep forgetting one of Bears were ranked the top 10 offensive line going into 2019. They were I think they were ranked number nine or number 10. They were seen as one of the strengths of the offense. So, I mean, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like if he is saying Juan Castillo is the guy and that's, what's going to fix it. And maybe a Jermaine Fetty or Alex bars, you know what I mean? Like, cool. That's what's got, I got to believe it. Right. But for now, like I, I, I'm torn because same thing last year, right? We didn't think we needed to make any major acquisitions in certain spots and what happened. You know what I mean? Burton got hurt. We didn't think, Hey, maybe we're going to need another tight end. It's going to be okay. Um, and you know, I, I really think one of the biggest pieces of this equation is going to be seeing, um, what, what Bobby Massey brings to the table, because honestly, before last season, he really was on a good run of having consistently solid, good years. He was actually, you know, when we signed him to the contract, he's currently signed to, it was looked at around the league as a good contract because he was considered one of the better right tackles in the game. And we just did not see that level of play from him last year. I'm not completely ready to throw him throw him out because I think when you have uh, when you string together consistently good seasons and have one off year, I think you should get some time to kind of fix that. But I think that's going to be a big X factor is that right side of the offensive line. I'm not saying the left side was necessarily perfect last year, but if we can get the right side of the offensive line to play up to par to even how they the left side played last year. I think we see a much improved offensive line. I think that in turn gives us a much improved offense. Yeah. And when it comes to Massey, I mean, you got to think too, who was his right guard all year? They got rotated out. It was either Ted Larson or Rashad Coward or 
um, Kyle Long for a couple games. You know what I mean? Who wasn't the same. Gotta love Kyle Long, man. R.I.P. Oh, Doug. Uh, I wish bear for life, Doug. Bear for life. Not obviously rest in peace, but R.I.P. as a football player. Um, realistically, though, like I do think having a, a right guard will help settle him down because when I did my running back breakdown, it wasn't like he was glaringly bad, you know. And same thing, like you said, with the left side, like they weren't doing anything special. Leno gets so much more slack than he needs to get. I mean, don't get me wrong, dude is a penalty machine. He's got to clean that up, and he's definitely. I mean, you're not paying him top tier left tackle money. He's playing how he's paid. You know what I mean? Like you're you're paying him. And and realistically, people don't realize how much Mitchell Trubisky masked some of the offensive line issues in 2018. Mobility, another thing, getting this pocket moving, helping them out. Mitchell Trubisky even said it in one of the games when he was getting frustrated. Yeah, you know, maybe we can move the pocket and help out this O line a little bit. And like he's always been very like super goody two shoes. You know, golden boy. I'm not gonna say anything bad about anything. You know what I mean? And he he kind of gave a glimpse of like yeah, this is fucking stupid. Like, why aren't we moving this pocket? I'm getting killed over here. You know what I mean? I have no time. There's nowhere to step up. Because people always talk about how he he bails out left or bails out right. A lot of the times, dude, he's trying to step up and there's nothing there. It's, there's there's no room. And there are, don't get me wrong. There are times where he's stepping up and there, there is, or he's not stepping up and there's a pocket. But it's also because he's thinking, hey, maybe like this is going to be fucking, you know, history is going to repeat itself. It's going to be dirty. Like he's already got that in his head and he's got to get that, you know, he's got to clean that up in general. He's got to be able to trust them even after a rough play. But overall, you got to think that has to build into it. Well, and uh, I, I I really like the point you made with um, how he hasn't really had the ability to step into the pocket because a lot of the film study I've I've made from 2019, uh, very, very consistent thing we're seeing from a lot of defenses. I don't know if it's from studying the offensive line in 2018 or not, but there's a lot of inside stunts. And they're attacking the interior of our offensive line a lot with these delayed blitz. Um, so really, when you have a young quarterback like Mitchell Trubisky, who's not ready to get the ball out immediately, which that is one of his biggest critiques is holding onto the ball considerably longer than he should be in a lot of situations. Um, you end up having this affinity to inside blitzes. The Packers were tearing us apart in both games with inside stunts. Um, I saw it a decent amount in the Vikings game as well. It's something that really does need to get cleaned up because if Mitch is consi- like, no matter who's that quarterback, we can't have them rolling out left and rolling out right the entire time and throwing on the run. Yes, no, it's, it's yeah, it's not it, feasible. I mean, exactly. I mean, it it's works. Mad, at, it's Madden football. <laughs> exactly. You got. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, it's. I really trust Cody Whitehair and I really trust James Daniels, but there needs to be that other interior presence, and I think that would help a lot of being able to step up into the pocket because Krutz calls him out every single week for it. And he also can admit that the interior of the offensive line needs improvement. Well, and that's one thing too, like specifically the Packers, but most of the time people always say like, Oh, the, you know, they're stacking the box and that's why we can't run the ball. And you know, Mitchell Trubisky, no, they're not dude. They're playing bracket coverage. It's almost like, dude, it almost looks like teams are lined up. Like it's a fucking kick return. That's like literally how it looks. You literally have, Five yards apart, there's like six guys across the thing. So it's all the middle of the field, which is something Mitchell Trubisky is not good at throwing. So you're either giving up a six-yard curl or you're giving up a deep shot, which Mitchell Trubisky's missing on. You know what I mean? So when you can't run the ball and they're – dude, the the Packers play nickel most of the fucking time, like even on rundowns. You know what I mean? So I, I don't understand 
why people think like, oh, this is, you know, we can't run the ball because the box is stacked up and blah, blah. No, it's not. They're playing bracket coverage. A lot of the times they understand that our offense is kind of based on bubble screens and bullshit. So they're, they're taking away our bullshit easy stuff. Go ahead, Brandon. Bubble, green, bubble screens and bullshits need to be a t-shirt, bro. Absolutely yeah. needs to be a t-shirt. Bubble screens and bullshit. I'm sorry. I had to interject. I did not mean to kill the point. That needs to be on a t-shirt. Yeah, we'll we'll talk to the admins. We'll see what's up. I mean, because no. that's, that's what it was, though. And that's what it was. And that's what bothers me. And it's like, <laughs> people want to say Tariq. Everyone loved Tariq Cohen in 2018. Dude was making plays. You remember when he fucking had that a corner, like catch and run corner of the end zone, and he sprints across the back in Soldier Field when they beat the Packers. Like, that's that. That's what that guy brings. There's zero reason that guy should be getting critiqued. Nagy deserves that critique. There's, why is he carrying the ball seven times up the gut when you got David Montgomery? You know what I mean? Yeah, and we touched on it last week. It's it's He's supposed to be that wild card. He's not supposed to be the main driver behind your offense. You're supposed to have him pop out of nowhere and surprise you for a 60-yard run or something like that. He's not supposed to be the bell cow. That's what we have David Montgomery for. That's what we had Jordan Howard for in the past. This year is most important, I think, to Montgomery and his growth. But I think Cohen still is, you know, he's still as just as athletic and, you know, he hasn't had many injuries. I don't think he's he's going to be there to compete. And he has that, you know, we call it the short man syndrome. He always is going after whoever. He doesn't care how big you are. He doesn't care how fast you are or how strong you are. He will go at your best player and give it his 100 percent. And and honestly, I can't ask for more from him. So I, I, you know, we talked about the money last week. I do like the way he plays. And I hope that he is able to have somewhat of a trans, transcendent year so that he can get some money here on the other side. And I mean, you kind of look at running backs of his stature. I mean, like someone like Darren Sproles, you know what I mean? Like that guy's played for a really long time. And other than a torn ACL, he's been very durable. When you're that little and you've been playing your whole life, you know how to take hits. You know how to, you know what I mean? You know how to avoid contact or at least lessen the blow. There's sometimes he's going to get cracked over the middle, unfortunately. You know what I mean? But that's also up to, you know, his quarterback to make sure he knows who he's throwing to. You can't throw it to him in traffic like that. So um, overall, though, we kind of got to move on. Um, We're going to get to this fantasy draft. I did want to close with the thought of uh, your boy, man, Cole Komet, has just been extremely impressive from everything I've heard. Already knows the playbook. Got that Notre Dame education, you know. I mean, it's looking good. Bad podcasting when we release the video. You can see me loving it. But, yeah, dude, I mean, I have – Cole Komet is my guy. I'm not even going to continue to just spew it at you guys on this podcast. If you guys want to get my Notre Dame takes, check it out on Irish on Tap. But this kid – is going to be something special. He was special at Notre Dame. He has the size, the measurables. Got a little bit, you know, you got to work a little bit on the uh, the get-off speed, but once he gets moving, it's like an 18-wheeler. Get the hell out of the way, my friend. He's going to find his way to the end zone. But as far as the Zoom meetings, the, 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 um, the knowledge, like you said, that's something that you get at Notre Dame. They, they instill not only the book smarts, but the smarts on the football field. They're not just going to go out and get the five-star recruit just because he's a five-star recruit. You have to have the full package. So when you draft someone from Notre Dame, you know you're getting that full package. Well said, my friend. Um, any closing thoughts for you on these press conferences in general, Brandon? Um, honestly, it just feels good to get new new sound bites, new clips. And, and honestly, I really just like the confidence and aura that Ryan Pace really like just let off in that, in that interview. He kind of just 
Florio was kind of trying to bait him, and he really stood his ground and did it in a professional manner to represent the team well. He's fucking fired up, dude. He's fired up for this season, 100%. Just got to be you. <laughs> be you. I hate you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, bi- biggest thing that I really took from Ryan Pace, and uh, it's the quote that really stuck with me, was him really speaking about, like, this team is dialed in. They are pissed off. This is a team that expected so much more from themselves. And it, it, was, it didn't have to be Ryan Pace or Matt Nagy saying it. He was speaking and saying that these players, the heart of this fucking team, believes in themselves. They believe in this team. They've bought in. That's why you haven't seen this this, uh, distraction in the locker room. This is why you haven't seen this separation from any parts. This is why we're not hearing about this drama, any drama in the locker room as it is. This team is in. This team is bought in. I think think when we brought in a guy like Khalil Mack, that was something that really, really sold this locker room, that this team is invested in trying to win, which – We've known, we we know as being Bears fans as long as we've been, that hasn't always been the case. So I really think seeing this team bought in, ready to go into 2020, ripping people's heads off and showing the NFL that this is not a team to take lightly. I dude, it's got me fired up, man. And when Ryan Pace says it, I would probably run through a brick wall for that guy. So I can only imagine the guys that he's paying millions of dollars per year, how they feel about him. hundred percent. I love me some alpha pace. And, and you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I feel like, I mean, even me as someone who watches football religiously, like I knew Khalil Mack was a monster, but I think people don't really understand, especially because he was playing in the West. You know what I mean? Like he was playing in the AFC, he was playing in the West. Like we didn't get to see those games a lot. You know, they're never like televised for us unless they're on national TV. That's kind of all you really got from Oakland. So that first game, I think that they were kind of in awe the same way we were against Green Bay. Even though they lost, you know what I mean? They were just like, this guy is not a human fucking being. Like, he's ripping the ball out of quarterback's hands. He's sagging. Like, he's interception touchdowns. Like, first game, didn't even go to training camp. Just learned the playbook. He was on the field 50% of the time. So, I think that was a such a serious acquisition that people don't realize, like, just the magnitude of the overall morale of the team. Like, what that does for your team. Like, damn, we got Matt. Like, we got a top five player in the fucking league. You know what that does for a team? You know what I mean? Especially a defense that was already top 10. So I, I think, you know, you're, you're kind of right on par there with with they should be pissed off. You know what I mean? And, and they we know how good they were. That's why we were so disappointed last year. I was more disappointed last year. I'm sorry. Yeah, last year in 2019 because I had such high expectations that I was in 2006 after they lost the Super Bowl. I thought they had no right being in that Super Bowl. Last year, I was like, this is a fucking great team that's underperforming. That's why everyone was so distraught in my personal opinion. Um, but we're going to move on to this fantasy draft because we've been going for a little while and I'm really excited about it. You guys got your Google Docs up or what? And so, while, I'm sorry, while you guys are bringing that up, um, I'm just going to let these fans know. So pretty much what we're doing here is we're going to have the next three or four weeks, we're doing a draft. We're just filling out an entire team with all Chicago Bears players. We're starting with the legends and then we're going to move down to all pros. We'll move down to pro bowlers and then we'll move down to miscellaneous. So today we are doing the Hall of Famers and it is a big list. 30 Hall of Famers. And I mean, obviously we know the history of the Chicago Bears. First team, George Hallis started the NFL. The guy pretty much literally like 
had to pay the Packers 500 bones so they can, they needed someone to play so that he like helped fund them. You know what I mean? There's just so many things that the bears are ingrained in when it comes to the NFL, especially Papa bear Hallis. So I'm excited to do this and we're going to have some info on a couple of these guys for you. Some of our older listeners are definitely going to really appreciate this, especially the ones that are around for 85. Cause we got a lot of guys on those lists. Um, one thing I noticed specifically, and it's funny cause we were talking about O-line and Juan Castillo today. These Hall of Fame teams and these or these Hall of Fame players and these championship teams were stacked with offensive linemen. Three, four, five. I mean, those Sid Luckman teams, they had five Hall of Fame offensive linemen. That's insanity. Like, what? Are you kidding me? No wonder why they're winning championships. And they're running the wing tee. You got three guys just, hey, where's the ball going? I don't know. Um, but realistically, we're going to start this. I know that Duke had something to, to come forward with before we, we started going. Oh, no. Um, I was having problems with the Google Doc, but I got it. I'm just I'm just a big old idiot. You're good to go. Be down. Yeah. The All right. is ready. I have my I have my notes. All right. So just real quick. All right, Duke, you know what? You're going to get first pick, Brandon. You'll get second pick, and I'll take the last one because, you know, I'm pretty much the most alpha, and Duke's the new guy. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll roll like that. Duke, how are we feeling, brother? You got the first pick, and you get to pick from every legend ever. I feel like I know who it's going to be, but who are we taking with the first overall pick in our Bears on Tap fantasy all-time Chicago Bears teams? I'm not going to lie, man. This is a very hard decision. This is not as... There are so many great Chicago Bears in the history of the game, and there's a lot of great Chicago Bears that haven't even touched the Hall of Fame, which is unfortunate. But, you know, their impact to the team, never questioned. With the first pick, if I'm going all-time, as much as I love defense, as much as I grew up with a guy like Brian Urlacher as my favorite Chicago Bear, as much as I love Mike Singletary, one of the best inside linebackers of all time, I have to go with Walter Payton here. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty obvious pick. We got Sweetness going number one, greatest running back to ever play the game. Um, I mean, come on. There's there's really that's that's a shoe in. There's no reason he was inducted first ballot Hall of Famer in 1993. Um, I mean, there's everyone knows sweetness. There's there's not much more to say. Yeah. And, you know, I was I was conflicted because um, everyone does know sweetness. And I kind of did want to have these cool stories ready to go, which I do have plenty for a lot of these players. But, you know, I think Walter Payton, he's just one of those guys that just goes without saying. You know, he was just a class act. He played the game right. He did everything you want out of a football player. You know, a lot of people have him as one of the best running backs of all time. I put him right there as one of the best flat-out football players of all time. His impact on a team is just, it'll always be underrated, in my opinion. You could talk about it for 17 years in a row nonstop, still would be understating it. I love Walter Payton. I mean, it's it's hard to... uh... See, you know, obviously there's there was a lot more success with Michael Jordan, and he's probably the number one icon. But in my mind, you know, I'm a Bears guy, so Walter Payton's number one for me. Always, always and forever. Gotta love sweetness. Number 34. I wore it as a little fat kid. I was playing guard. I had no business wearing 34. I don't know why they let me wear it, but <laughs> they did. So 
Oh, I even had my uh, my AIM screen name was Italian Stud, 9134, and I was born in 91. So that's I, I was all about Walter. You know what I mean? Anyone from Chicago that likes the Chicago Bears is all about Walter. We are going – and now, remember, gentlemen, we're, we're filling out a full starting roster, and then we'll probably have some backups as well. So keep that in mind, what kind of team you want to build. I know you were talking about linebackers and such. There are three um, pretty damn good ones that everyone knows about, and then there's a couple down there like, you know, Bill George who – had a, a football, a Pop Warner football league or Bill George football league named after him. And he also invented the middle linebacker position. So, um, you know, we got, we got some studs out there that will be out there, but we're going to move on to the second pick with B Don. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cut and dry. I think, you know, where I'm going with this pick. Um, I'm going with Erlacher and we talked a little bit about it last week on the podcast. He just was, he is today's modern linebacker. He was able to drop in pass coverage. He was able to blitz. He was able to come up on run support. If he got his hands on you, you better hold on to that football because he was going to make you lose the ball one way or another. He was the leader of the resurgence of the Monsters of the Midway, someone that was one of my heroes growing up, someone I, you know, I modeled my game after playing linebacker. It's just he checks all the boards for Chicago Bears fans. Bears fans that, you know, were around to see the 85 team, Bears fans that are our age, young Bears fans when they watch highlights of, you know, the 06 team and stuff like that. He's the guy that pops off the tape. He's the leader. He is the one who is, you know, in my opinion, really brought that defensive fear back to the Chicago Bears because there was some limp years in, in between, you know, 85 and 2006. But Brian Erlacher, number two pick. And, you know, I'm going to go out and say it because I, I use every opportunity that I do get to say it. Somebody get this man that extra $2 million so we could get that last ride. I mean, yeah, he's 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 found he's found the cure to balding, too, which is unbelievable. <laughs> I just said that to my girlfriend. Yeah, Sanders here. He has a full head of hair and everywhere in Rosemont, they want to, I think there's one spot on I-90 where you pass seven straight billboards of Erlacher with that. You know, it's funny you say that. I I wanted to do like a watch thing and I wanted to do an article about every single um, billboard that's out there. I wanted to literally count them and like have it like a a tracker article, like, oh, another fucking Erlacher billboard just went up. Next time I make my trip to the city or I go out that direction, I'll like take a video of it because there is like one strip where within a mile they are just everywhere. Yeah, man, it's hair lacquer, dude. He's all over the place. And I mean, like he got free hair. There's no doubt that he's he did. He got free hair to do those ads. There's no doubt about it. He didn't pay for that shit. So killing two birds with one stone. Um, Now, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of torn here because. You know, I'm a strategic kind of thinker, right? Bears have never had a good quarterback ever. So part of me is just kind of like, should I take one? You know what I mean? Because unless you guys are going to be running a 3-4 defense, which these guys did not play in, then you're not going to take these extra linebackers. Hmm. Hmm. You know what, fuck it. I'm actually going to go. I actually get two back-to-back picks because I was last. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a nice little double roll. We got the coach, the tight end, Mike Dicka, at pick number three. Because we all know exactly how much tight ends affect the game. Last couple of years, who do we have in the Super Bowl? 
Zach Ertz versus Gronk, and then we had Kelsey versus Kittle. I mean, tight ends are very important. I know it's crazy, but when you got a guy like the coach who not only is an extremely revolutionary figure for the Chicago Bears, and he was the personality we needed to bring us our only Super Bowl, not only did he have that leadership, he also was one of the first people to start changing the tight end position. I mean, things were not really, I mean, you you weren't having pass catching tight ends, maybe three receptions in a year. So he got here and they started utilizing tight ends to stretch the field. So this guy is like, I mean, he fucking broke bread for the NFL. Got to go with the coach. And then my second pick, you know what, dude? Yeah. I I like a mean, I like a mean, mean guy. You got to go with Dick Buckus. I need an enforcer in the middle of my defense, 100%. Everyone knows Dick Buckus as that enforcer. I mean, I love it. Got a nice tight end and middle linebacker combo. Um, And a lot of people argue that Dick Buckus was the best middle linebacker in the Chicago Bears history. So, I mean, he might be a little outdated, but maybe I can get Roquan Smith on the back end and uh, have him playing in zones while I got Dick Buckus just cleaning everything up in the middle. B. Don, we're back to you. Pick number two. Uh, yeah, so for my pick, I am going to go back on the offensive side for this pick, and I'm going to take Gale Sayers. Although it was a short-lived career for sale uh, for Gale Sayers in the NFL, I believe it was only seven seasons. This was a guy that when he came into the league at six foot two hundred pounds, running the speed he was running and just doing the things that he was doing was not possible for a person of his size. Those players were playing different positions; they weren't carrying the rock. And he definitely was one of, you know, I'm not going to say he's an all-time great running back because his sample size is a lot smaller, but he definitely, you know, if you really want to put like a a top 50 or a top 100, like he's definitely in like the top 50. He is a quality running back. And if you would have seen a longer career, he would, you know, it would have reflected more in his stats. But when you watch the tape on Gale Sayers, an unbelievable running back. And, you know, he averaged five yards per carry. He finished his career with around 5,000 rushing yards, but he also topped that off with 1,300 receiving yards and 48 touchdowns. So he was just a productive player, found himself in the Pro Bowl four times and and someone that I would, you know, I would love to start building an offense around. And from what I've heard, he was a hell of a returner as well. Um, and, you know, the things about Gale Sayers that always sticks out to me is just how gracefully he moved. It was almost like he was ice skating through people. I don't know. It just seemed like he was gliding while other people were and it didn't look like he was moving that fast, but it's just like he was just so elusive, it seemed like. You know what I mean? It just seemed like he wasted no energy turning or cutting. And I feel like that kind of had to do with some of his return background because he almost ran the ball like a returner. Um, awesome pick. I love Gale Sayers. I was hoping he was going to fall to me, but unfortunately he didn't. Duke, we're moving on to you with your second pick, my man. Oh, you got Before- actually you got two back-to-back coming up. Perfect. Before I make this pick, though, I do want to make one point about Gale Sayers. If modern medicine was then what it is now, Gale Sayers is the top five running back all time. I will die on this hill. I really believe it was medical. It was it was modern medicine that really kind of screwed him up. But on that note, on a more positive note, with my next pick, considering uh, the two other inside linebackers that I was going to aim at are now gone. By the way, Dick Buckus is the reason I played as uh, number fifty one in high school. So um. Yeah, that hurt a little bit extra, but that's okay. And I mean, um, just the face mask, too. He was a mean motherfucker. Dude, I loved looking at his knuckles. 
His knuckles were bloody and taped up and dirty and nasty and dude, everything you want to see in a badass. Like and he, he looked, literally had bear claws, like huge hands, bro. Looked like, like if he if you took one on the chin from him, that's it, lights out. He looked like a guy who was bare knuckle like boxing like an hour before the game with like like glued on broken glass on his hands. Like he, For gosh. Sure. I, Freaking love Dick Bucket, man. And then just smoking cigarettes at halftime, like an absolute gangster. Gotta love that. Gotta love it. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, brother. We 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 digress. But I mean, how do you how do you not with Dick Buckus? Dude, all right. So I'll leave I'll leave it on this. Deacon Jones. He used to say um, he didn't want to, uh, Dick Buckus didn't want to take you to the hospital. He wanted to put you in the cemetery. But um, all right. That being said, with my pick. I have to go with continuing with the 1985 theme because I'm just a big old Bears homer. Got to go with my boy Mike Singletary. While he does not have the size, while he may not have the speed, this guy was intensity. He was one of the smartest guys to, he was one of the smartest inside linebackers to honestly ever play the game. That 1985 Bears defense, while insanely talented, needed the glue. The same way the Chicago Bears right now need a Danny Trevathan in the middle, that 1985 Bears needed Mike Singletary in the middle. He was so good at reading what the offense was about to do. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people talk about how Erlocker would call out audibles. Mike Singletary was doing that before Erlocker was, you know, taking his first steps. Um, I really believe that Mike Singletary really is that kind of third guy in the in the conversation that uh, kind of doesn't get the respect that he deserves. But I think Mike Singletary, I will take him running my defense seven yeah. out of seven days out of the week. And that is someone that, I mean, when it comes to instincts, that's number one what he's known for. Not the biggest, not the fastest, not the strongest, but was always in the right place at the right time. You know, I had a friend, Billy Trakis. He's a good friend of mine. Ooh, maybe I'll bleep out his last name. But I had a friend of mine that, um, same exact way, right? Wasn't very fast. You know, he was strong. Wasn't, just didn't, didn't seem like an athlete. You know what I mean? He wasn't stacked up. He wasn't cut up like a shitty bag of dope. But for some reason, this kid, he wasn't fast. He was just quick to the ball made every fucking play you know what i mean he was just a good ass player and that's kind of uh it's kind of what mike singletary reminds me of and when we talk about intensity i mean i don't think vernon davis is still recovered from from that episode on the sideline the guy is insane dude honestly vernon davis should send mike singletary a christmas card every single year because he saved his career with the way that Vernon Davis was going at that point the emotional roller coaster he trust me he knew he was a first round pick and that guy and Mike Singletary let him know that on the grand scheme of things, he ain't shit with that attitude. Can't win, can't win with him, won't win with him. I love that quote. It's like one of my favorite quotes of all time. I cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. I want winners. Um, and now you have your, I mean, Singletary, great. How are you going to follow that up? Uh. I'm going to continue to be a 1985 Mark and I'm going to draft the great Richard Dent, who I think is one of the best pass rushers of all time that nobody talks about the sack man Dent. And like, I, I don't know what you can really say about him that he didn't show on the field, man. He was an absolute animal. He was great at stopping the run. He was elite at rushing the passer when in a time where quarterbacks weren't necessarily of the premium in the league, where the league still revolved around the run game. This man was still recording 
numerous sacks every single season, dude. I I love me some Richard Dent. He's a guy who wasn't a big talker. He wasn't a big, uh, not a big, you know, celebration type guy like we see a lot from these sack guys these days. He was a lunch pail guy, showed up and dominated on Sundays. And you know what? With him and Mike Singletary, that opens up a lot of different things that I can do later in this draft. Yeah, I'm a little jealous of what you got going on right now. I'm not going to lie. Um, B-Don, you ready for your uh, third pick, my man? Yeah, so I feel like we just hopped in a time capsule in the early rounds of this draft, but I am also going to stick on the 85 team. I'm going to solidify the middle of my defense, and I am going to select the Danimal. The Danimal Dan Hampton. Hey, you got to take care of the, you know, the front seven. And I just solidified that with him and Erlacher being there. This is a guy that, you know, was just pure intensity. You see him, you know, this was a time too where you were allowed to have your way with the quarterback. You could kind of hit him and do a little bit more, a lot of bit more. Why would I say a little bit? You could borderline bully these guys, throw them into the dirt. Make sure that they did not want to drop back and make a pass. Make sure that they wanted to hand the ball off to the running back. And when the running back got it, he made sure they paid for it, too. This was a guy who was a member of the 85 Super Bowl team. Someone that, you know, you cannot tell the the history of the Chicago Bears without mentioning Dan Hampton. An absolute nightmare for running backs and quarterbacks to try and get the ball up the middle against. And the anchor of that 85 defense. Yeah, um, that was um, something I was going to bring up when when Duke took Richard Dent because I was like, man, I uh, I would I would have slotted uh, I would have slotted Dan Hampton in front of him, but they're both incredible players. Can't go wrong. Both Hall of Famers for a reason. Um, so you got a nice little team coming out too. Very strong up the middle, might I add. Um, definitely no no leaky no leaky yards up the middle for you. None of that. Nothing's leaking up your middle. Nothing yeah, we're, at all. we're we're taking care of all uh, all that uh, halfback dive, fullback dive, anything over the middle. If you want to try and throw a little slant route, Erlacher, Scott Six for you, all there. Okay, okay. Well, now um, now it gets a little interesting, and now it comes a little bit more of the the history. We got a couple more of these guys that maybe were from the '80s and um, and you know inducted recently, but I have to go with. Bronco Nagurski. And now let me tell you why. Okay. Bronco Nagurski, he plays everything. You need him to play guard, he'll play it. You need him to play tackle, he'll play that. You want a fullback or a halfback? Bronco's got you covered. That's my utility guy. I mean, ultimate Hall of Famer in the inductory class. I mean, started the NFL. Him, the galloping ghost, you got to love it. I want a bruiser. I want a Mike Allstott type of guy clearing holes for whoever plays running back for me because you clearly got the two best. But I like me some Bronco Nagurski. There was actually a time when he played tackle the entire year, but some stuff went down with World War II, and um, essentially he needed to fill in a role at fullback again, stepped in seamlessly. Unbelievable. Won the game, championship, cash, money. Give me Bronco Nagurski. I'm going to take him. And um, next but not least, ooh, I got to do it to you guys. I'm sorry, man. Papa Bear should have never felt this long. Papa Bear. What, do you, like, what else do you want me to say? The guy started the NFL. He's literally king dingling, like head honcho. This guy walked around classy as hell with his hat. I mean, he played wide receiver. He played defensive end, but he didn't play that much. He was more of a coach more of an organizer, but at the end of the day, everything starts at the top. And right now, I have my hierarchy right now. I got the GM, 
and the head coach, well, the GM that built the 85 Bears and the head coach of the team. I mean, the guy wasn't too shabby, Mike Dicka, when he played. So I'm really liking the way I got I got some legends on here. You guys went a little bit more recent, but yeah, we're going to move on to Brandon's fourth pick. Yeah, and with my fourth pick, um, you guys are going to, you might be surprised by this, but I'm actually going to go with uh, George McAfee. So he played running back and he played receiver. He also played some DB back, I believe, in the 50s. And watching the tape on this guy is like, he, he was just that, that utility player, but in a different sense. Not necessarily like the utility player of the linebacker tight end variety, more of a skill player utility player. This guy averaged five yards a carry. Um, he's someone that was able to see success in the passing game, too, in a time where passing really was not, you know, the optimal way to get the ball down the field. There was not a lot of people that passed. It was mainly run the ball down the other team's throat until you score, finish the game, 13-10, call it a day. But he finished his career, and this is where it really, really jumped off the page to me. He finished with 25 interceptions, again, in a time where passing really was not that popular. So that man was picking everything flying, forced 17 forced fumbles, picked up 13 of them, and had two defensive touchdowns in his career. He was a three-time champion. Obviously, they don't consider championships in the Super Bowl era as the same uh, valor as the Super Bowl, but he was a three-time champion nonetheless, and he also was an all-pro. Um, someone that I can pick and pull and put him wherever I want on the field, and he's going to produce. 100%. Duke, you got two in a row, brother. Are you ready? Oh, I'm absolutely ready. But uh, first of all, I want to say, Lucas, hate you for picking Brock Nagurski because that was totally going to be my pick. But it's uh, my guy. You ever see it? I got strong chin dudes. Everyone on my team has no glass jaws in this fucking house. Do you want to know, dude, George Hallis? Have you ever heard the story about the first time he met Bronco Nagurski? He drove past him on a farm, asked him for directions. He picked up a plow, a, a plow that he owned and pointed in the direction for where George wanted to go. Of course, George Hallis didn't leave that farm until he got that guy signed. I mean, but that's, anyway, that's my I pullback. Oh no, it's a great. I did not know that. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought that up, dude. Dude, I I could go for days on stories about Brock Nagurski, but I, for the sake of time, I won't. Um, with my next pick, I would be absolutely remiss if I did not give Walter Payton his main man, and that has to be Jimbo Covert. Um, anchor well, the offensive line. Anchor the offensive line has to start. Um, Jimbo Covert was somebody you just straight up did not want to see on Sundays. He was the guy you didn't want to match up against. He took on all the hardest matchups the Bears had to deal with. Um, he was incredible in the run game. He was very good in the pass game. Um, and him and Walter Payton, they made beautiful music together. You know, he all he had to do was give Walter Payton a little bit of daylight, and that's and he was off to the races. And I think Jimbo, you know, even with that, the amount of games that he played in a Chicago uniform, he was just consistency. He was just everything you wanted in a left tackle. Um, I want to take this opportunity to point out that Jay Hillenberg should be on his way to the Hall of Fame as well. I think he's very deserving of that. Um, as another guy that was very strong hold on that offensive line for years. But got to pair up Walter. Got to pair up Walter with my guy. Yeah, and um, I'm glad you brought that up because I, he got – do you guys know the actual term um, for this latest inductee? They had like a bunch of people get inducted. They, they they did like an extra, I want to say 10 players this year to induct like players that they, you know, felt like were slighted or, or something along those lines um, just to get more players in in general. 
But I, from everything that I have heard, read, seen, I mean, there was a huge, huge thing with Tom Thayer and um, and Jeff Joniak. They had a podcast where they were talking about Jimbo Covert and how he was that. And that's why I wanted him. I'm a little upset you took him because we need that nasty on our offensive line in 2020. And, I mean, Jimbo Covert would be that guy. And you forget he's going up against, I mean, a yacked out Lawrence Taylor, which I've heard he was – like for some reason, kryptonite to Lawrence Taylor from what I've heard. And that guy was, I mean, he was, he was on some shit dog and it wasn't, wasn't creatine. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't HGH. It was, he was yacked out of his face on the sidelines. So you could see how, <laughs> never mind. I digress. But realistically, I mean, him, you got Reggie White, some, some really good pass rushers that this guy was able to minimize. So definitely a great pick there. Who are you taking with your next one? Uh, with my next pick, I am there's so there are a lot of great options available, and um, you did bring up quarterback a little bit earlier, and that is something I've kind of considered, but I still feel like I can get something a little bit later. Uh, but um, I think I am going to have to go with I'm you know I'm gonna have to solidify the backfield. I'm gonna go with Red Grange to pair with Walter Payton. Um, the guy who kind of set the precedent for, um, players getting paid out of college for guys, for a guy, um, that really kind of set up the barn burning tour for the Chicago bears and the NFL red Grange is paramount in the NFL being as uh, successful as it is him and George Hallis. Um, they really kind of went on this, this tour. I think it was about 29 games and almost 67 days to really sell people on NFL football. And red Grange was the star of that red Grange was everything as, as much as everyone talks about George Hallis, red Grange needs to be in that consideration, uh, consideration, the galloping ghost, this guy, uh, you know, he's, he's an Illinois, if not Chicago legend. He, and from what, uh, I've researched, at that time, specifically, I mean, college football was it, and he was the face of college football. So him going to the Bears, him deciding he wanted to play football at, because people didn't really understand, like, there's a league you can play in after college. People didn't want to do that. They either went to the war, or they went to work at a factory, or they just wanted to make money. They weren't going to play a game for pennies. At that, you know what I mean? At that time, they weren't making dick. So, like you said, it was almost like, a, from, from how I've read it, it was almost like a carnival. They literally went around and was like, hey, come see the Galloping Ghost, because everybody knew who the Galloping Ghost was. No one knew who George Hallis was. He may have constructed it, but you are correct, my friend. Red Grange does deserve a lot of credit for putting the NFL on the map. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, a big, a big part of that is um, it was actually a third party. This is a cra- the crazy thing. It's, it wasn't like George Hallis came to Red Grange. George Hallis was unknown enough. You know, he was, he was a guy with money, but he was unknown enough that he – honestly couldn't get a meeting with red grange it had to come through a third party who basically came up to red grange and said do you want to do you want the chance of making a million dollars a year and that was what started the entire thing the next day george hallis was working out a deal with them and here we are here we are 2020 man virtual draft just happened that's that's how futuristic this shit's getting um okay beat on you're up dog next pick so yeah we did not we did not get uh, futuristic flying cars by 2020, but we will give you the Bears draft on who we are going to take. And with the fifth pick in the draft for my team, I am going to take Ed Sprinkle. This is another player that played both offensive and defensive side of the ball. 
He was at one time dubbed the most dangerous man on the field. Um, he, you know, through his time playing on both sides of the ball, they saw that he brought just an extra pressure to the quarterback. He was more of a defensive end than he was a tight end, but he still could catch the ball and do things with it. Um, just again, this is someone that was what Chicago Bears football is all about. Pure tenacity, pure toughness, played in a little bit of a different time. And, and like I said, if you actually look at his size, he was 6'1", 206 playing end. So obviously this was a little bit of time before, um, you know, like the Gale Sears. But I'm saying if you look at the history and the trajectory of people that play football, they weren't always the huge mammoths that we see out there on Sundays this, you know, this time of the year. But this guy, even though he was a smaller player, he played with that tenacity. Like you said earlier in the podcast, one of my favorite terms, Duke, is the lunch pail guy. Ed Sprinkle is a lunch pail guy, and he is a Chicago Bear legend, and he is who I'm taking with the fifth pick in the draft. Love it. Love it. And he was also inducted in 2020 with uh, Jimbo Covert, like, you know, and, and yes. obviously they in the special they played, class. Yeah. Yeah. Very far apart. Um, but yeah, I mean, great pick. Um, I like the versatility of the older. I mean, obviously, you're not you're not going to get anyone playing both sides of the ball anymore. Maybe once in a while you'll have J.J. Watt play tight end or something. But other than that, you're not you're not having two way players. It's, it's impossible in this day and age. But realistically, I mean, like you got to count it. They did it right. And uh, the versatility is a big thing that I was looking at. Um, next, I mean, I got to go with. I'm a big, I'm a big offensive line guy. And to be honest, I'm really disappointed with myself that I still haven't selected one me personally. I mean, and there's a lot of really good ones out there. That's kind of why I waited on it, but just for an elite name, got to go with Bulldog Turner. Bulldog Turner was eight time all pro, um, played linebacker, mainly center, but also played linebacker as well. Um, dude, absolute monster, uh, He's originally from Texas, but I mean, at this point, when he when he was drafted, he was drafted in the first round. This is when the NFL started establishing itself and people really started to understand, like, you know, it, it, it became a thing. There was a draft. It wasn't just like, hey, we need to go get the galloping go. So at this point, he was really kind of on the map. Bulldog Turner was highly sought after coming out in the draft. And um, I, I love the versatility with him. So I'm going to have to go ahead and go with Bulldog Turner next. I got to do it, man, because realistically, when you look at how bad the history of the Chicago Bears quarterbacks are, I mean, I don't want Cutler on my squad. I know someone else might. I know someone else might. Little Dookie boy might want one. But me personally, I'm going to go with Sid Luckman. He's well-renowned and known as the best quarterback to ever play for the Chicago Bears. And he played in a, in a generation where, you know, you're not going to see the passing stats and all that stuff. But even still, if you look at his stats versus current Chicago Bears players or past, he's comparable. So for that alone, I feel like if he were to um, maybe be in a newer system, maybe put him in the West Coast, let him sling it around a little bit. Maybe he's a 5,000 yard kind of guy. So I'm going to have to go ahead, hang my hat up and, and go ahead and grab Sid Luckman with my seventh overall pick. What can you say about Sid Luckman? I, I feel like that's uh, it, it's almost like his name gets soured because 
every time you hear about Sid Luckman, it's usually followed by a shot at the current state of the Chicago Bears quarterback. But Sid Luckman was truly a pioneer of the position. Um, you know, it's very, very deserved Hall, uh, Hall of Fame spot. And like, like you said, Lucas, and I really like the point that you made with it. Um, the fact that his stats are even close to being comparable to anything being done today shows how impressive it was considering how strong the running game was back in those days and how very basic any sort of passing offense was at the time. And I mean, in his best year, which was 1943, he had 2,194 yards with 28 touchdowns and 12 interceptions, 13.9% TD, um, uh, TD percentage. And I mean, the guy had, Oh my God, 54% completion. But when you really look at it, he only had 110 completions with 202 attempts. So this man was 2194 divided by yards. Yeah, he was he was averaging about 11 yards per per um per toss in that year. So I mean, really impressive stats for for a league that's always rushing the ball. And th- and then you look at uh, generations later, and we had Tim Tebow doing that for a couple years. I mean, yeah, man, we we. We've had those years with the Chicago Bears many yeah, a times. I know. Many a hey. times. That's why I had to lock it down because, you know, you, sometimes you got to sift through the rubble and um, you got to take what's what, the best thing you can. So right. I'm going to go uh, ahead and I'll, take Sid Luckman. I'm waiting for my Mister, uh, my version of Mr. Irrelevant. I'm going to be taking uh, Craig Krenzel at some point in this draft. Ridiculous. Um, <laughs> the goat. The absolute goat. Oh, my God. We're on to you, B-Don, 300. So, yeah, with, I believe it is now the sixth pick. Uh, the sixth pick, I am actually going to go on the offensive line. I'm going to go ahead and grab George Conner. Um, the, the funny, or not the funny, but I would say the crazy thing about him is he's another Notre Dame bear. So, obviously, he checks both of my boxes. But this was someone who was originally drafted by the New York Giants after playing football at Holy Cross University, University, which is a small university in South Bend outside of Notre Dame. They no longer play football. But he said, you know what? Screw it. I don't want to go to the Giants. I want to be closer to my family. He went to Notre Dame, was a part of two national championship teams, then ended up on the Bears. And another crazy story about Connor is he actually wasn't even supposed to survive out of infancy. They told him, uh, well, they told his parents, obviously, when he was born, that he wasn't going to make it out of the first few weeks of his life. He ended up growing to be, after being a three-pound uh, baby when he was born, growing to be 6'3", 240 pounds, played linebacker and tackle. Another one of those players, Lucas, that you know was uh, old school, can play on both sides of the ball or both sides of the ball. Uh, he was a four-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Proer, part of the 1940s All-Decade team. Someone who was just mean and nasty on the field. And he was dubbed by a sports writer as the closest thing to a Greek god since Apollo. So anytime you get a comparison like that, even if it's by a guy just like us, uh, it's, it's high praise for a guy who's playing in the trenches. That's unbelievable. That is absolutely unbelievable. I love hearing that. Duke, who are we taking with our next two picks, my man? All right. So I really do want to solidify a couple things. Um, I think with a guy like Mike Singletary, it kind of opens you up to um, be able to have a linebacker who can more focus on the run game. And with uh, with that being said, I'm going to have to take Bill George. Um, absolute, absolute monster this guy is, and he does not get talked about enough. He is actually credited with um, inventing the middle linebacker position. 
Like this is this is a guy who like when we talk about revolutionizing a position, if we could talk about Dick Buckus revolutionizing, if we could talk about Singletary revolutionizing, if we could talk to Brian Urlach about revolutionizing, none of that happens without the inside the inside linebacker position. And that's where Bill George really excelled at. He also had 18 career interceptions in a uh, in a time where the ball, passing the football just was not really a, you know as big of a thing as it is now. So um, he is actually not that bad in pass coverage. So I think with him and uh, Mike Singletary on the inside, if I'm running a three-four defense, which I haven't totally decided yet, um, I really like I really like the pick. I really like him. That's a really nice pick, and and you know as I said before very very well respected throughout the chicago land if you guys ever played like little league football bill george was you know that lombard area and and uh, i think want to say westmont and glen ellen stuff like that so there was pop warner and bill george those were the two main ones bill george i had to play for in my last years because you needed to be a red striper because if you were too fat they wouldn't let you run down on kickoff and kill somebody so they put a little red stripe on your helmet if you couldn't wait wait at the beginning of the year which is something i've always struggled with um but i mean that's that's life, you know, like I'm Italian. I like food. Um, you can't go wrong with that, but that's another thing I wanted to bring up because like you said, he invented the, the middle linebacker position. And when him and Hallis were actually playing together, they were like, why don't you just drop back a few steps? Like that's literally what it was. He was a D lineman. They were just like, maybe like you could get better angles and chase people down. If you're, you're back a few steps from, from what I've read, that's kind of how it went down. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that really goes to show and it shows again how important George Hallis was to uh, revol- uh, revolutionizing not even just professional football, but football in general. Um, and I think guys like Bill George are important for the, the history of the league. And uh, on that note, I have to go with uh, my next pick here and I'm going to solidify both sides of my offensive line and I'm going to take Stan Jones. This man is a... Uh, monster he is six foot one which is not intimidating whatsoever 252 pounds as an offensive lineman you're already thinking what the hell is this guy going to be doing on my offensive line he is nasty this guy played he, he didn't wear a helmet he did not wear pads for good portions of his fucking career this guy was as tough as it gets on an offensive line like and he played different positions. He played interior offensive line. He played out uh, outside offensive line. Hell, if one of my defensive tackles gets injured later in this in, later in this draft, like if I end up drafting Tommy Harris and he ends up getting injured before one of the biggest games ever, I got Bill, I got Stan Jones. I could toss in there. You know, it's it, it's one of those guys from that era who was just by just by the lack of talent maybe around him played so many different spots he played where he was supposed to go he played anywhere that coach wanted him to go you know like i like i said you know what you're gonna find with a lot of these early era players and i know uh, beat on you know you already made the point about it dude it's lunch pail guys they're guys that show up and they're ready to they're ready to maul people and that's that's what stan jones did it didn't matter where on the offensive or defensive line you put him he was ready to kill somebody and you can't ask for any more than that I mean, you know, it's funny because we, we've been talking about these hard, hard pale and, you know, that that idea has changed so much because when when you talk about a player in the 30s and 40s and 50s, that was a hard hat and lunch pail kind of guy like he literally would come after work to go to practice. Like he would work in a factory and then go to practice. That's how dedicated these guys were. So, I mean, I love I love kind of diving into this. It's like a little history lesson. You know, we got to learn a lot. It's It's been really cool so far. Um, gotta love the pick and we are going to move on though because we're starting to run on time 
So let's uh let's get to you there, B Don. Yeah, so with with this next pick, I'm gonna stay on the offensive line. Um gonna be running the ball a lot with my team. As you you know, we have not had a treasured history here at quarterback, so maybe some wing tees in my formation, but I'm gonna be going with uh George George Musso. Musso, I might have I might have messed it up. Uh we'll just go with the Moose. That was his nickname. This was a guy who went to a smaller school in Millican University, and he was never really um, it's kind of the same aura that we have around small schools nowadays. He didn't really have the same opportunities that some of the bigger school players had. He signed a game contract for half the rate at the time. And Lucas, you'll get a kick out of this, a $90 game contract to play for the Chicago bears. And the rest is history for him. He was one of the first people to play, um, at the weight and size that he did. He was around 270 pounds, which was huge for the time period that he played in. Um, he played as a part of seven uh, he was in a part of seven title games. He won four of them, three-time Pro Bowler, or three-time Pro Bowler, part of the 75th anniversary team, and just an overall animal. He was on those lines where it literally was all all-pro linemen. It was five all-pro. So imagine having the ability to run behind that and build your stats off that and your offense around that um, component. I wish we had a couple more guys like Moose hanging around right now. But uh, one one interesting fact, too, about him. So he did gain a little bit more weight. He started at the tackle position. Obviously, the, the progression has you move inside to guard when you gain a little bit more weight. He was the first person in NFL history to win all pro or to go all NFL at both positions. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. That's awesome, man. You keep building on both. You're 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 going to be in a position at some point where you're like, hey, you know what, dude, I can. I can use dude on the D line because I, I I got this stud O lineman that fell to me in the All Pro class. So definitely, um, I'm I'm liking. God, I just really love this dude. But I'm gonna move on to my picks. Okay, so one last we thing. Have, one yeah, last ahead, thing brother. too. He actually played against President Ford and against President uh, Reagan. So yeah. huge pres huge president guy. He beat them both. <laughs> <laughs> you're literally the biggest. <clears throat> you're the biggest idiot on the planet for sure. <laughs> All right, so I got a double. I got a double bing bong for you guys. Um, first, I'm gonna go with Ed Healy. Now, Ed Healy was literally called. Oh, I'm sorry. George Hallis used to call him the most versatile tackle in history. He was all league pick five times during his eight year NFL career. Said he was very fast for a tackle. He's able to make things happen, but. The most significant memory from his career was actually when he was on defense. Dude on his team picked the ball off and started running the wrong way. He chased him down 60 yards and made a touchdown-saving tackle on his own player. And I need guys with that much awareness on the field. It's that simple. We can't be making bonehead mistakes, and he's minimizing those. So I got I to gotta go with that Healy. Next, I got to go with Link Lyman, another guy that is – very versatile, mostly played DT. They said that he actually kind of, um, you know, like shifts, twists, things like that. He was one of the ones that revolutionized the defensive tackle position. As we're finding out, the Bears had a ton of players that revolutionized the NFL. So he was very big. I mean, another guy that was very fast for his size, and he was able to pull stunts and things like that and had the ability to jump gaps. People weren't doing that. Like we were talking about before with Bill George. I mean, it was almost like rugby before the way that they were lining up. So they started introducing some very versatile things as the Chicago Bears. And that's probably why they ruled in that championship era for so long. It was pretty much just them and the, the Packers, unfortunately. 
Um, so I got back-to-back linemen that could play on both sides, Link Lyman and Ed Healy. So with my next pick, although I do think we are going to have another Hall of Fame kicker here down the road, this guy also played quarterback, and he played a shit ton of seasons, Mr. George Blanda. This guy played – he played 26 seasons. You just don't see that. Like, he literally – they probably had to pay this man to retire. He – um you know, he is one of those guys where he didn't necessarily like if you look at his stats, they're not necessarily great. Like he had a couple seasons where his intercept, he had a couple James seasons, I'll call them, where his interception numbers were high. But again, this was a time where passing wasn't the conventional way to move your offense down the field. Um, he really, you know, he really early in his career emerged as one of those guys that could play on both sides of the ball. But he also, you know, he, he could kick the ball, too. Not many people can play both sides and have a special team spot, like a specialty position. Some people can long snap. Some people can return kicks. Some people can do that. This guy could literally kick a ball like 50, 60 yards in a time where it was not possible or it wasn't really seen to do that. If you really crunch his numbers, they're not really like great or eye-opening. His total, his, his touchdown interception ratio is actually negative, which is kind of alarming if you look at him as a Hall of Fame quarterback. But you just have to look at full body of work when you think of George Blanda and when you when you see him out there on tape banging 50 50 yard field goals in the 30 in the 50s, it's it's eye opening. So and then think about the fake field goals you could run too. Quick little oh, yeah. kicker flip back. Oh I like it. Got a little fake, Madden going. I was gonna say he is the fake field goal fake field goal master in Madden. Hundred percent. Um Okay, so George Bland is off the board. We're on to you, Duke. All right, so with what will probably end up being my last two picks in this draft, um, I don't know necessarily how he's going to be used, but uh, you know, I'm always up for having gadget players in my offense, and I'm going to have to go with uh, Patty Driscoll. Um, played a little bit of uh, quarterback and running back. I can honestly say, guys, even me being as a Bears historian as I am, I don't know a ton off this guy. But um, if he is somebody who can join this offense, he's obviously in the Hall of Fame for a reason. He's one of those early era players, which means he's going to be willing to do anything I want for him on the field. Uh, and plus, dude, and me having my Irish descent, Patty Driscoll's like the greatest fucking name I've ever heard in my life. So it's an elite, an elite name, for, name sure. for sure. Yeah. So definitely going to go with that. And um, for another spot, um, I guess I'm going to just continue building this offensive line. I'm definitely going to be able to move some pieces around, but I'm going to have to go with uh, George Trafton. George okay, Trafton, okay. Center. And, center, um, center. Yeah, he's going to have to. Uh, that's not going to necessarily stop me, guys, from grabbing an Olin Krutz or Jay Hillenberger later in this draft, but um, definitely another piece on the offensive line. And with having Red Grange and Walter Payton in my backfield, I might just go six, seven offensive linemen on you guys. Sounds good. Hey, be down. We got you next. This is your last pick. Uh, yeah, so with my last pick of the day and of the draft, I am going to go out and select Bill Hewitt, uh, defensive end or end at the time in fullback. I got to have someone to clear the way on the go for Mr. Sale, Mr. Sayers. When he gets to the second and third level, I need someone to take out those safeties, those linebackers, and this was the guy to do it. George Hallis once was quoted as calling him absolutely fear- fearless, he was a happy-go-lucky guy, like one, you know, just like one of us, just joking around, normal guy in the locker room, pretty fun to be around. But the second you got in between those lines, 
get out of his way because he was going to make you pay for it. Um, overall, in terms of, you know, his credentials and his resume, he won the championship twice, uh, 32 and 33, six-time uh, All-Pro player. So this was someone that, you know, was respected league-wide. He also was a member of the Philadelphia Eagles Hall of Fame. So he was someone that wasn't only successful as a Bear, but he saw success when he left Chicago. Um, this was someone that has his number retired as a Chicago Bear and just an overall Midwest kid. Uh, played at Michigan from Pennsylvania. One of those like old school straight lunch pail football guys that played the most lunch pail position in fullback. We're gonna need a lunch pail T-shirt at some point. For sure, lunch bubbles and bubble screens and bullshit lunch pail guy. Two T-shirts that had to get made. And honestly, yep. guys, I mean, going last, I I got a, a wonderful consolation prize because I just solidified the left side of my offensive line here. Now, if you look back um, to 1936 draft, the number one overall pick was offensive tackle Joe Steidhar, and alongside him was his battering ram blocker, and that's this is not my words, obviously, but he's described as a battering ram blocker and an expert at diagnosing enemy plays and a deadly tackler. So we got Dan Fortman and Dan Steindar, both guys, Hall of Famers, both guys, part of that championship run. They said, I mean, in this, in this bio, they're saying essentially these guys were smart, instinctive, launch pale kind of guys. And that's exactly, I mean, that's what you're going to get with old school Chicago bears, Hall of Famers. You're going to get guys that, Develop the league, guys that revolutionize positions, and guys that just worked hard. Because if we know one thing about Papa Bear is that he was not taking any shit from anybody. He took no shit off nobody. Okay, I mean he was he 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 paid you what he thought you were worth, and he thought you were worth less than everyone else thought you were worth. You get what I'm saying? I mean the guy. I know everyone said you know George was a little bit frugal and. Um, and that's possibly why George, his uh, his grandson, is a little bit frugal as well, which I can't agree with because McCaskey's, I mean, they they just swing and miss. They're spending a lot of fucking money. They're just not spending it wisely for the for the past. You know what I mean? So overall, I'm uh, finishing up with my left side. I got a garden tackle combo, you know, the one that just led the Bears to multiple championships. That's all. Yeah, I just want to let you know that once Buzz listens to this, he's going to punch air when uh, you just complimented the McCaskies, just so you know. He's not going to be happy about it, but at the end of the day, dude, like, you don't spend $100 million on a practice facility. It's not generating you any revenue. It's not like they're renting it out. You know what I mean? Like, that, you're not cheap. You're just, you're just not spending money wisely. Honestly, dude, I, I can't even be mad. I'm, I'm really happy with what George has done. Like I, I think he's, I think he really took the reins and decided like we're a Chicago football team. This city loves this team. We need to put everything into it that we're getting back in. Like it's, I, I've actually been really happy with it. I think over the last few years, you know, it is ever like I kind of cringe when people tell me that the McCaskies should sell because I really think George has this fucking the right idea. I think he really has this team going in the right direction. And I mean, not only that, like he's smart enough, you know, God rest his soul, Michael McCaskey recently passed. But from what I've heard, Michael McCaskey was a bit stubborn, a little bit more like George, 
than than um, George is. You know what I mean? A little bit more like Papa Bear. From what I've heard, Michael McCaskey was a little bit stubborn and you know unwilling to um, to compromise for some things. George McCaskey, as soon as he took over, he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing, dude. I like, we just had Mark Tressman in here. Like, somebody please help me. He went out and grabbed Ernie Acorsi and had him hire Ryan Pace. He clearly had no clue what was going on. And I will never knock him for lack of effort. You can knock him for lack of success, but you cannot knock the McCaskies for lack of effort. That woman is 93 or 94 years old and she goes to every fucking game, dude. She has warrior's blood in her. And I really dislike when people talk smack about virginia mccaskey like how are you gonna talk well how would you feel if someone was talking about your grandma like what kind of shit uh, what are people what are people doing you know what i mean like i've seen some crazy shit about virginia mccaskey on facebook that's just like so uncalled for dude i love me some virginia mccaskey dude i love me some virginia mccaskey and that's it's just it's it's history man that was papa bear's daughter and she is still this invested in this team she doesn't have to go to the games shouldn't have to have any sort of face whatsoever. She could be a faceless owner that shows up during playoff games. She's there every week. She's there in, you know, blistering colds. Like, yeah, she's in her box, but she's still got to get in and out of the car at her age. Like the fact that she could still do that and she still invests enough time. She still talks to players like, come on, what, what do you, what can you hate about Virginia McCaskey? I mean, and all that says is that she just fucking loves this team. That's all. That's all it says. I don't know any 94 year old woman that would, that would frequent football games. Like I just, I just don't, you know what I mean? So it's awesome. Um, you know, and, and if you ever like listen to that, they had that centennial celebration. She had some really funny stuff to say. She was talking about how she was more interested in the players when she was a teenager and she didn't actually start watching football, football or understanding it. till she got a little bit older and stuff, really cool, kind of cute stuff. You know what I mean? I thought it was awesome. Yeah, and honestly, I'm with you guys on this, too. I hate seeing people out there trying to bash the McCaskey family. I mean, when you're in that position of power and you own the team, you're obviously going to have people that like you and hate you. But everything that you do is under a microscope. And if you look at the treasured history of the Chicago Bears, although we only do have one championship in the Super Bowl era in 85, and I haven't seen the success that we necessarily think we deserve right now is probably the best time to be a Bears fan. At least I know in my lifetime, looking at the roster that we have, the coaching staff that we have in place, and everything that they have in place to succeed. Obviously, they, like you mentioned, they, you know, they just spent a billion dollars on that brand new practice facility. That matters to the players. The players really do like seeing, you know, it's really a lot bigger in like college when, you know, a college does that, like kind of like what Northwestern did out, out there on the on the lakefront. But when a pro team does that, upgrades their facilities, upgrades your workspace, it just makes you want to work harder. And too, honestly, I, you know, with everything that's going on, as much as I love going to training camp, I don't even think that shit would have happened like it normally does this year, even if they did have it in. Uh, no, just, so well, yeah, no, it, no, you know, definitely wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and, so and I, we, I think and moving we, forward, the facility is going to be. It's not necessarily going to be key in like yo you're a free agent. This is why you should come here, but it definitely helps. And it's part of the process of running a fine tuned professional organization. I mean, yeah. And you, and obviously there's more that goes into it with college scouting, but like you're going to go to Alabama when you have state of the art, everything, and they'll give you brand new free gloves and all this shit. You know what I mean? Like free, free socks and free cleats and all this stuff. Are you going to go to, I don't know, fucking university of Massachusetts? Like, yeah. Well, but like, you- 
we know go? from a player's standpoint that they're not necessarily fond of the playing surface out there that they've been doing training camp at. And, uh, is it Olivet and Nazarene or something? Yeah, Olivet yeah. and Nazarene. Oh, it's they're not, they're not fond of it. So let's hope that the, the surface and everything that they have in place here at, at Bears headquarters is up to par and the players are able to keep their performance up to par and stay healthy before the season. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have been running long, and that's really just because we had to cover the history of some of these guys. The next draft won't run nearly as long because these players will be a lot more recognizable. But I thought it was awesome for us, and it's going to be really cool for some of the older generations that listen. So I appreciate you guys for doing this. Um, the, I'm, I'm guessing you guys had some fun while we were talking old school, like historic Bears players, right? I live for this shit, man. Makes me want to crack open like the old Madden where they put all the old players in and just let it ride. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be dope. That's one thing too. I noticed, like, I mean, before talking Madden, they have Ultimate Team, and you're able to get players and stuff like that. They have like Ultimate Legends. Erlacher only goes up to a 97 overall, which I thought was pretty disrespectful. I mean, Ray Lewis only goes up to 98 overall, and then they got some players that are going up to like 99, like Jadavian Clowney. It's like, how? Wait, what? Jadavian Clowney's never eclipsed 10 sacks. So, but they do have like, they do pay respect to Walter. Walter's got a 99 card. I got him, got Gale Sayers, got a 99 Devin Hester. So they do have a little bit of that in these newer games, but definitely some of the, like the 2001 with Marshall Falk on the fucking cover. That was a badass Madden, bro. I think it was 2001. Either him or Sean Alexander. It was one of the dudes with the fat mouth guard that covers both lifts. That's all, that's all I remember. Yeah, love me a fat mouth guard on my running back. No doubt about it, dude. That's that A-train look. <laughs> hey, uh, I think uh, TJ did it, too, for a while, too. Thomas, yeah, he did. Yes. Dr. Bicep. That is the most active former Bears player on social media that I've ever witnessed in my life. He talks to dude, everybody all the, time, all the time. He's nonstop, man. Like, he just he just keeps going. And honestly, man, I, just, hey, I, love, his, I love his enthusiasm, and I love his activity you know i love that he's consistently speaking i love that he is just keeping conversations open you know what i mean and you know in a world where i feel like everyone is so calculated especially with somebody with the celebrity of a thomas jones who mind you actually does a lot of acting now he's in tv yeah, shows yeah. i believe he had a part in uh straight out of compton um thomas jones a cool dude whether you whether you agree with all of what he says or not, you gotta love the fact that he's out there saying it. And and realistically, I have never once called him Thomas or TJ or Thomas Jones. I've always called him Doctor Biceps, and he still replies. So I gotta love him for that. <laughs> the man with the saps, dude, Mister Peaks. That's that guy, Thomas Jones. Um, but that's about it for us at Bears on Tap, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it, listeners. I mean, I had an awesome time doing it with you too. If you want to follow these gentlemen on Instagram or, or Twitter, whatever you call it, you got at BDON300 for Brandon Suarez and then at that pod guy Duke or Duke Coughlin. I'm Lucas Perfetti. You can follow me at Lucas Perfetti46. And we are Bears on Tap. We represent the Bears sector of On Tap Sports Network. You can go to ontapsportsnetwork.com for all of your Chicago sports needs. And we have branched out into so much more. We're covering NASCAR. I mean, WWE, anything you could think of, MMA, we're doing fantasy picks for MMA, and I mean, it's we're we're off the walls, dude. So definitely go ahead and check us out. We're at On Tap Sports Network. We love you guys a ton, and bear down, bear down, bear down, baby.